Listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Business of Wellness podcast. I am your host, Jacqueline London. This week, we are doing part two of two on the biggest wellness trends of 2023. As you will recall, if you were not here last week, just to refresh your memory, I am replaying these episodes that originally aired in December of 2022 that were looking at an overview of the landscape and a trend forecast into what would be new and big and gain steam and gain everybody's attention in 2023 in the wellness space, specifically in food, nutrition, and preventative health. So this week is part two of this two-part series. This will probably be new to many of you. And I also think it's always good to kind of go back, take stock. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you think about this little mini episode series. Let me know what you think by leaving a five-star rating, of course, and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd love to hear from you. We are going to go back to new programming next week. So definitely stay tuned subscribe, follow the Business of Wellness podcast wherever you're listening. And I would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out on any and all social media platforms at Jacqueline London RD and at Jacqueline London on TikTok. And I can't wait to hear what you think. Also, what do you think is a big wellness trend of 2024? Let me know. I want to know where, where are you guys falling on this? Feel free to reach out to me again at Jacqueline London RD or in the form of a review on Apple Podcasts. I would love to hear your feedback. All right, without further ado, let's get into this episode replay, part two of Wellness Trends of 2023. What are the trends that are gonna continue to be expanded upon versus what is ready to go? Like, uh, and by ready to go, I think we all know by now, that part is my personal opinion. <laughs> It's my personal opinion, but it is my clinical judgment and it is informed by many different sources and from talking to many different people across industries, including many clinicians as well. So I want to kick off this conversation with the first of five. There are five in total that we're going to cover. Opinion. <laughs> it's my personal opinion, but it is my clinical judgment and it is informed by many different sources and from talking to many different people across industries, including many clinicians as well. So I want to kick off this conversation with the first of five. There are five in total that we're going to cover, and then I promise we're going to wrap it up and get us all out of here so that you can enjoy the rest of your, hopefully, what is your time off and get, get started into the new year thinking about some of these themes. So the first one I want to talk about is personalized experience versus personalization and bio-individuality. So if you guys listened to the first episode, the first wellness trends episode that I did back in Jan, um, I spoke about the differences and the nuances between what personalization means and what is bio-individuality and how should we be thinking about it. And I, I honestly, I've got to walk it back and say I was wrong. Um, and it's not that I was wrong entirely per se, it's that it's it's a very hyper-specific niche of the, of the um, preventative health market to really be going so deep and so hard on bio-individuality, especially as we enter into what looks by all indicators to be a recession year, right? Um, the, a lot of what we saw in, in the hyper-personalized bio-individual space, right? Companies like, just to name a few here, like um, Zoe, for example, or um, some of these other large scale, I'm trying to think of some other good medical tech, even like Lumen, if any of you have seen Lumen. Um, I think a lot of these are tied to the tech boom that we have been enjoying 
for the past few years. And I think that as we continue to, to scale back a little bit and redefine priorities in different areas of the healthcare tech, personal tech, personal wearable tech um, industry, I think that we're going to start to see this uh, shift a little bit more. And in my opinion, that's only for the better for right now. I was in graduate school in 2009, the first time I heard the phrase nutrigenomics. Anyone else? Anyone else both find that really hard to say, nutrigenomics, and also remember that kind of <laughs> phase of life? And I'm still waiting for it. I, I mean, and not because there aren't, you know, tremendous um, leaps and technological and scientific innovations that are happening all day, every day, but because to get it to the place where it is um, seen as normalized or better than the replacement, I think actually that's the key, better than the original. In this context, the original would be eating meals and snacks made up of foods that we know are actually nutritious, nourishing, delicious, and that support our own personal health goals right? And honestly, that information is everywhere. That information is here. It's real. It's harder than ever to access, but it's here. I mean, that's the foundation on which my entire profession was built. So I refuse to believe that it's not here, right? Um, but I think when we when we make things so complicated, and I'll just, I, I hate to pick on these guys because I know that they're trying to do good work, but, but I'll use Zoe as a great example. Um, the barrier to entry is so high. It, Zoe is a, a service and a an app where you take a fecal sample and a blood glucose sample and you are tracking some of these. Um, you're, be, you're basically meant to be put on a, an eating style or an eating plan that is hyper personalized and tailored to your specific needs and lifestyle. Now, if you actually look at some of the foods. What we know in nutrition science is that um, when I say my own food philosophy is based on Mediterranean diet applied, basically Mediterranean diet applied to different people, different communities, different places in the world, different regions, different cultural backgrounds, right? But there are some fundamentals that span the healthiest populations around the world, no matter what, right? Um, and and basically this this new innovation in health tech, which is Zoe and many others like it. I've seen many others that, that are trying to play off of a similar idea, are trying to essentially say, we're going to tell you all about your gut microbiome. And then we're going to prescribe the very, this very specific diet that is unique to you. Now, there, there may be some value in that, but the truth is that there's also value in knowing that, uh, healthy gut microbiome and the foods that fuel healthy gut microbiome are all types of veggies and fruit that provide the widest variety of antioxidants and of prebiotic fiber. So if, in other words, if I were to get a meal plan and it said, um, mine, on mine, I'm supposed to have broccoli, but on my neighbors, they're supposed to have Swiss chard or they're supposed to have bok choy. Well, they're both brassicas to me. Those are both brassica vegetables. Those are both going to have technically the same beneficial results. And if I could get people to eat more of both or one of those, I don't care. I just want them to eat more of those, right? So automatically what you've done by creating a product that is that hyper-specific and promising a very lofty goal, right, is that you're saying that one, that there's a vast interest 
in this in the market. And I think that we're going to start seeing that wane. I think that's where the, the recession and the current state of inflation is really going to play a major role in consumer behavior and consumer spending habits. And uh, and then on the other hand, that is all assuming that me as a dietitian couldn't tell a patient that I think that they should be including more sources of cruciferous vegetables if, if they personally enjoy eating them right? So it, it's taken away from an existing profession to say that you're creating some sort of elusive hyper-personalized experience, which behind the curtain isn't all that hyper-personalized, but does require people, the patients, the, the, the clients, the consumers, the people who are going to buy into the product to actually scoop up their own shit out of the toilet to take a test and send it in for a sample. I, I worked at Weight Watchers. We could barely get people to open an email. You think they're going to be going to take a fecal sample, scooping their poop out of the toilet? You know, like it's just insane, right? Like the barrier to entry cannot be that high for something that ultimately may not quite yield the greatest results. Whereas if you really want something that's hyper-personalized, you're going to want to speak to a registered dietitian about getting that under control, right? So I, I'm tired of, you know, seeing so many things out there that are telling you how innovative they are when really it's this profession, it's the human connection, it's people speaking to other people and learning about their personal needs and lifestyle that really make for the best, the, the best products and the, the products that really help to move behavior in a direction, that help to shift behavior, not, not shit behavior, that help to shift behavior over time, not the quick fix solution and certainly not, you know, the, the shit scooping solution. You know what I mean? So I think we need to think about where um, where innovation is happening in ways that are truly scalable. And we need to think about it instead of this, you know, this uh, yet again, marketing shtick of personalization. Everything is personalized. Everything is so personalized. Yes, we cannot lose sight of personalization, but I think we need to rethink how it's coming to life. And that is in the form of a personalized experience. So to give you guys just a little bit more context and a, and a few examples of some people who are really nailing this, who are really getting it right. I've seen this really kind of grow exponentially in the fitness space. So CrossFit has some partnerships. I want to say they just recently rolled out a partnership with um, primary care services and linking those two things, those two experiences through an app. The other thing, super interesting, Orange Theory hires Steve Aoki as their chief music officer. I mean, that's crazy, but also awesome, right? That is not about the personalization of, of fitness, right? It's not something that they can say, okay, we, we have come through with this medical breakthrough, even though the last two years have been a pandemic, and even though you haven't read about this medical breakthrough in any medical journal, right? They're not, they're not professing that, right? I think that this is the type of partnership that makes so much sense, especially because they're a fitness brand that has struggled, but has also, it's also still around, right? So why not make the most of what you've got by making an experience personalized versus trying to overpromise and underdeliver on the science? Peloton and expanded subscription offerings. Peloton always at the top of their game, even though they went into 2022 looking like they were not going to be around for 2023 and they've held on. So good for them. Um, and Snapchat and Strava Fitness, also an amazing partnership um, and, and an amazing, very immersive, very experiential and very Gen Z partnership that I unfortunately don't know enough about. All of those things being said, I think we would be short-sighted not to say how the rise of off-label prescriptions of Ozempic 
became such a thing in 2022 without looking at personalized experience versus personalization, right? Because I think a lot of people had the experience of trying Legovi, Ozempic, um, these GLP-1 receptor antagonist medications that have, uh, that really kind of like made every headline in terms of celebrity weight loss over the summer and beyond. Um, I think we would, we would be silly not to look at, at what that really means. It means that, that physicians made the call for their patients who were expressing a need for something. And that makes it a personalized experience, right? So while the treatment may be sort of, you know, one size fits all in the way that it was initially approached, there's many things to feel and think and understand about this. But, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, you you heard the amazing episode with Lauren Harris Pincus. And I would, if you haven't heard it yet, then I would definitely recommend going back and listening to it because I love that episode. I think she is a, an absolute bastion of knowledge in one human being, but also, you know, not everyone is going to respond the same way to a, to a specific medication. And so for a physician to take it upon themselves to prescribe a weight loss medication for a patient when it is off-label because it's not being prescribed necessarily for diabetes is essentially, actually, you know, it, it may be a way of dismissing someone in some scenarios. In other scenarios, it may actually be a personalized experience that is unique and, and right for a specific individual. The other thing I want to say on that is that because so many of the side effects of those medications have been widely discussed, talked about, published across media outlets, um, I think it's also worth saying that not everyone has severe symptoms or side effects. Many people tolerate these medications very well. So that's another, that's another, so I think it's really critical that we consider all of these factors when we think about what personalized experience might mean for for specific brands and stop doing the charade of personalization. Next one, number two, is immersiveness and accessibility anywhere. So another former guest of this podcast and someone whose podcast I have also been a guest on, Jenny Hutt, amazing, a longtime radio personality. She is funny as all hell and amazing and brilliant and smart, but I want to give her a huge shout out for something that is, I, I was looking through my podcast, looking for something to listen to while I went to work out the other day and I stumbled on hers and she had a walking episode. And if you know anything about Jenny, you know, she loves to walk. She, we were, she was on this podcast talking about her hot girl walk that she rebranded as the AARP walk, which I thought was fucking hilarious and amazing. Um, but also but also it's just, it's a huge part of her routine, her habit, definitely an episode to listen to. I highly recommend it. I have got to say that, you know, I don't know that she even quite knows this yet. Peloton has also launched a, um, a walking experience. There are plenty of walking clubs. It feels like you're in a real fitness class, but better because you don't have to see anyone. You don't really have to stay accountable if you can't. Like if you have to take an actual fucking phone call, which you could not do in step aerobics in the 90s. You know what I mean? Um, and also it gives you the ability to do things on your own terms and at your own pace and at your own time. Like what works best for your schedule. So I think the accessibility anywhere component of things that also provides the immersiveness of community for other apps and services and ways that we can provide that kind of community experience, that little bonding experience that also gives us something to talk about, something to think about, and something to do physically is absolutely the future of fitness. We need to reframe the the experience of practicing healthier habits as something we really enjoy. So 
let's find more ways to give people things to look forward to. I'm seeing a lot of trend reports in lots of different places that are speaking about the rise of wearables. And I honestly just want to say that 2015 just called me and wants their Fitbit back. I'm like, if this is a trend, then, then yes. Okay. This is my Apple watch. I'm wearing it right now and I love it. And I wear it everywhere. And I'm embarrassed of that a little bit, but honestly, I'm not embarrassed of it. So if this trend is just going to make it less embarrassing to wear a Fitbit or an Apple watch to like a black tie event, it was everything I could do to not wear it to my own wedding. Okay. I, I really, I'm here for my Apple watch. So if there are ways to make this more black tie acceptable <laughs> and also more waterproof and hold a charge for a little bit longer, because that's one thing the Fitbit's really got on an Apple watch, I'll tell you that much. Um, I, a friend and also someone who is another amazing guest of this podcast, Rachel Reed, Dr. Rachel Reed uh, was just talking about, she has a background in exercise physiology and she was just speaking about on her Instagram uh, today, I think I saw it, about um, loving the Aura ring, which I have not tried, um, but would be thrilled to try it. I think there's a lot of different options out there. And I think whatever one of those works for you, the Whoop, that's another one I'm hearing a lot about, um, I think these wearables can only continue to grow and expand. Now, all of that being said, I, it, it's not lost on me that we just spoke about the stupidity of certain types of wearables, like like wearing a glucose monitor and not knowing what to do with it. Technologies that exist right now and that are so mainstream, like an Apple Watch and a Fitbit is and an Aura Ring and a Whoop. They are tapping into, some, into, into something huge, which is simplicity. I think they're all tapping into something that we all know we can do. At the most basic level, you can get a step count from these, from all of these. You can figure out how much you've moved throughout the day. It's not that they have to tell you the specific accuracy, right? We don't actually need that from them. We need to be able to see trends and we need to see patterns and we need to see that we like to see as human beings that we beat the step count by five steps that we did yesterday. Make big changes and to have a big impact, we need to take literally baby steps. And I think to do that means individuals taking that into their own hands and doing it in ways that work for them and being able to compare ourselves only to ourselves. The simplicity of a step count versus glucose monitoring and REM cycle. It's like, give me a break. Like life is hard enough. We need things that make it easier to live better and healthier lives, not harder. Let's go on to number three, psychological well-being. And I include in psychological well-being both focus and mood. And I'm calling this an umbrella topic because this is not by any means new. And I think um, understanding what is not new about it will, will help us broaden our own thinking about how we want to approach this from a, a business standpoint and from a consumer standpoint. When I was in school, we talked a lot, and, and I say school, when I was in school, when I worked clinically in traumatic brain injury and stroke, I, I, we would talk a lot about cognition, about long-term cognitive health, about the risk of cognitive decline. And I think with the pandemic and and Certainly there's multiple factors actually involved in this, but we don't have time to get into each one of them today, but the, the multiple factors that can affect psych psychological well-being. And some of them have to do with long-term risk and long-term health and, and how we're helping ourselves to live healthier for longer and to improve longevity, to make days that we have left on the planet better and more fulfilled. Sometimes in these grandiose statements about the future, we lose sight of the right now. And I think there's something to be said for that, right? Like we do want things, we don't want just the quick hit of dopamine. 
we want things that might actually just help us be more focused when we need to be focused or be more relaxed when we need, we need to be relaxed. So I will kind of bring us back to, I think last week, two weeks ago. No, it was two weeks ago with Dr. Mike, um, Dr. Mike Smith from Life Extension, who came on the podcast to talk about nootropics and about focus and mood as it relates to dietary supplements and innovation in the space. Now, before I say anything more than that, I want to say that, um, you know my stance on dietary supplements if you've been listening to this for uh, for a while. And if not, then definitely listen <laughs> to my episode with Dr. Mike because Life Extension is really a cut above and they have taken an extra number of steps in the dietary supplement space to ensure safety and efficacy. But I do think it's worth mentioning that it's not just this can only grow and expand in multiple different avenues and fields and channels um, in businesses in 2023 which is to think about conditions or lifestyle-related hindrances that make us feel less like ourselves. So the perfect example of this that we talk about on that episode is brain fog and nootropics. So nootropics being um, ingredients that can help to improve focus and mood. And they, there is, they're really at the beginning stages of, um, of clinical trials, of the actual research phase on human beings in ways that are safe and effective. But just to give a, an example that Dr. Mike spoke about on that podcast episode and that I find myself talking about a lot is caffeine. You are absolutely fine to have up to 400 milligrams of caffeine per day for, for most people. This is a very generic recommendation. I am using it to make a more specific point, but I think that has impact in the short term. It also, some research has shown, has impact in the long term in decreasing risk of, cogni of cognitive decline. How many times can I say cognitive in one podcast? podcast. Oh my God. Now you guys, I really have to wrap it up because I'm losing the ability to speak. Okay. Good thing we only have two left. The point being nootropics um, and some of the ingredients that are considered to be a part of nootropics, especially mango leaf extract. I think there's a lot of promising research out there. There's a lot of interesting things to think about as it relates to focus, mood, and psychological well-being and the telehealth solutions that exist and how we can up-level them. Because there are a lot out there that are not quite doing what they promise to do. And they're certainly not doing things that provide a level of care that I think many of us expect in a platform that feels like it's up and coming. And therefore, the people behind those platforms should be able to really deliver for you because of the pandemic, the brain fog, the fatigue, the overwhelm that so many of us have felt. I think now more than ever is like the moment to, to start seeing um, some of the existing research being put to good use for products and services. So let's talk number four. And this is actually also something that I found um, that I was thinking about as the phrase lifestyle first when it comes to how we speak to people, how we market to people, how we're really reaching people in ways that actually resonate with them or making rec recommendations that resonate. And it really means first that brands are going to have to level up. We're, you have to know your consumer better than ever before. That's that's the sort of take home point for brands. For consumers listening today, you know, it's it's something to look out for as things that are marketing themselves to you one way and may actually not be the right experience for you. And something I, I think about a lot, and I have thought about this a lot since, um, since Kate Lemire was on the podcast last February, amazing episode, and one of our most popular episodes of all time, I have to say, um, but making a recommendation about a running shoe. She's a certified personal trainer, and she also works in marketing for berries. Um, 
And it really, it really hit me at that moment. Some we all have different feet, people, right? It's very hard to recommend a running shoe because your feet are not my feet. And so my feet, sadly, despite being a dancer for most of my life, I have pretty flat arches. So if somebody is recommending a shoe that is, is big on the arch support, that's going to hurt me. Right. So I think I think we need to be wary and careful about what it means to practice a lifestyle first approach to helping individuals. We need to know about somebody's lifestyle before we go off making recommendations. I actually like and this is such a random example, but I like the way that Zappos.com has handled this. Right. They'll give you the category of walking shoe, running shoe, fashion shoe, which I don't know. I don't know how fashionable those are, but that's beside the point cross-training shoe, right? Like sneakers, a lot of sneaker brands have gotten this before. But what I would love to see more of is how to know if a sneaker is right for you. I think in in fitness, that is huge. These are going to be solved pretty seamlessly by, you know, having the actual experience of trying something on. Maybe that's a place for AR, for augmented reality. Maybe that's a place for um, getting people back into a store so that they can put a free session with someone who's like a shoe expert, whatever. You get what I'm saying. The idea is we need to understand um, what works for us and our everyday lifestyle and what type of, what type of lifestyle we live so that we can better understand the products and services that will help to enhance um, either no different from your competitor uh, or be a less fun, less enjoyable, and kind of painful experience as I've personally had with sneakers. <laughs> I want to take a second to um, to just share some of the things that I have looked at on, GP- on ChatGPT with you guys using ChatGPT. First of all, I did a TV segment uh, last week And just to organize my thoughts and to make sure that I had a framework that I felt really solid about having talking points for, I started there. I started with ChatGPT and had them write me, um, write me the, write me talking points about the carnivore diet, which by the way is not a real thing. So anyone listening to this, anyone listening to this and getting upset or coming for me, please don't come for me, but just maybe check out the segment that I did on Inside Edition last week, or perhaps you'll check out my social media. My actually, what am I saying? I made a YouTube video on this exact topic, the lion diet. Okay. Neither here nor there. I started with ChatGPT and it saved me a ton of time because then I was able to go back to PubMed and to reference a variety of um, papers of research articles that exist. Spoiler, nothing really exists on this, but to get some other research and data points that I wanted to include in my talking points and fill it in from there. And it saved me so much time. So let me share what, um, what I looked up that I, that I specifically wanted to read for you guys on this podcast. So how will, will AI impact the food industry? So I typed that in earlier today and it says artificial intelligence is likely to have a significant impact on the food industry in the coming years. Some ways in which AI could be used in the food industry include supply chain management. AI can be used to optimize the food, the supply chain by analyzing data on factors such as demand, weather, and transportation costs to forecast demand and to improve the efficiency of production and distribution. Number two is food safety. AI can be used to analyze data from sensors and other sources to monitor food safety and identify potential contamination risks. Three is, aha, personalized nutrition. (laughs) Of 
course. Even AI is using the word personalized. AI can be used to analyze data on an individual's nutritional needs and preferences to recommend customized meal plans. Number four is agriculture. AI can be used to optimize crop yield by analyzing data on factors such as weather, soil conditions, and pests to determine the optimal time to plant, fertilize, and harvest crops. Five is food processing. AI can be used to optimize food processing operations by analyzing data on factors such as machine performance and ingredient quality to improve efficiency and reduce waste. Overall, AI has the potential to improve efficiency, reduce costs, and enhance the safety and quality of food products in the industry. Okay, that was a mouthful. Let me read you one more that I thought was interesting. I asked ChatGPT, <laughs> how will ChatGPT help register dietitians? And here's the answer I got. The general pre-trained transformer, GPT, is a type of artificial intelligence model that has been trained on a large data set and can generate human-like text. While GPT is not specifically designed for the food industry or for registered dietitians, it could potentially be used in a number of ways to assist, assist RDs in their work. First, generating personalized meal plans. GPT could potentially be used to generate personalized meal plans based on an individual's nutritional needs and preferences. Two, providing nutritional information. GPT could be used to provide accurate and up-to-date information on the nutritional content of various foods, which could be helpful for registered dietitians when advising clients on their diets. Three, responding to frequently asked questions. GPT could be used to generate responses to common questions about nu nutrition and diet, allowing registered dietitians to spend more time on more complex and personalized tasks. Wow, that would be fucking epic. I'm sorry. I just went off editorializing. ChatGPT did not say fucking epic. Okay. Four would be providing ongoing support. GPT could be used to provide ongoing support to clients by answering questions and providing information on topics such as portion sizes, food substitutions, and meal planning. It is important to note that while GPT and other AI models have the potential to assist registered dietitians in their work, they should not be used as a substitute for the expertise and judgment of a qualified health professional. Honestly, they know the way to my heart that way. That last line... <laughs> That last line did it. That was the way to my heart. Honestly, this is this is a game changer. I have seen this be a game changer in other industries, but I also have worked with it a little bit myself. I started playing around with it last week just in making um, bread recommendations when when I was I, I just wanted to kind of like test the boundaries of how this might work for me and how this might work for other RDs. And I found myself looking at a variety of of four different brands of breads. Dave's Killer Bread, Arnold's uh, Whole Grain Bread, um, and two others that are totally escaping me right now. But the point being that I think there is tremendous potential here, especially when it comes to saving time. If you have not already downloaded ChatGPT, please do so. It is free, and all you need is a Google or a Microsoft login. And I want to I wanna chat with other dietitians and other health professionals about this more often in 2023 because I just feel like for our work, for anyone who is in the business of prevention, who is an individual contractor, who is working with this technology and seeing how it can be so beneficial and so game-changing and help you, how has it helped you? I just want to hear more from you at this phase, but if you haven't tried working with it yet or experimented with it, I will say that there's certain limitations. Like I, I just for the hell of it typed in a tube feed, like a very specific tube feed recommendation just to see what they would give me. Um, and it basically was like, nope, we can't do that. <laughs> so I felt good about that because I was like, yes, I would like a human being still be able to do that before this whole thing replaces our entire profession. But, um, but for now, I can see major areas where it could enhance my work, 
quality and the um, my ability to get things done faster especially for something like a TV segment where it's just giving me a template that I can use and modify. And basically when I, when I wound up with my own talking points for this segment last week, it looked basically nothing like the chat GPT. Um, the, the actual words were nothing like the words that had originally been there, but the template was the exact same. And I asked for it in a template that was optimized for SEO in case I, so, so that in case I like that I'm saying in case, so that when I posted it here on YouTube, it would be in a Google optimized search, optimized for search results format. All right, let's get to our very last category. And these are about times and places. So I have three here. There are plenty more and I would love for you to comment on this video and tell me what are some of the others that you think will be huge in 2023 when it comes to food experiences. So I think something that we talked about a lot in the January episode uh, of Food Trends and something that I'm going to talk about again right now is the, the ultimate pinnacle of the relationship between food and health, the hallmark, which is uh, connection staying connected through food and through the experience of eating and sharing meals together and preparing food. And I think I, I have seen, you know, one that I talked about a lot also in January was West Africa, was the, the influence of West African food on um, U.S. food culture and our understanding of what it really means to, you know, eat locally and globally and how we can actually start to experience that. And um, I just wanted to give a call out to both one of my former guests on the podcast, um, Nikki May, who wrote Wahala, which is still one of my favorite books, one of my top books of 2022. And if you haven't read it, then it can be your top book, one of yours in 2023. Um, I loved it. I thought it was so much fun and so great to speak to her about the influence of food and how she wove it into the storyline of fiction, of a, of a fictional story, which is amazing. But um, I also had the experience of going to the Department of Culture in Brooklyn, or I think it's just, there's no the, it's like Facebook. There's no the, it's Department of Culture in um, Crown Heights. I think it's in, in Bed-Stuy. Anyway, it's an amazing restaurant. And the whole restaurant is based on the idea of both a family meal and a shared experience. And the owner and chef is from Nigeria. And he kind of stops and starts between every course. There's only two seatings a night and he'll talk to you between courses and explain to you what the inspiration was of the dish that you're about to eat. And he said something that really stuck with me because it was an amazing way of putting this dining experience, which is that it is both let's take it back there. Yes, indeed. Sustainable. It is a way to decrease food waste when you know that you have two seatings and that you're going to do storytelling through the dining experience, which is something that people want anyway right? That's something we all want is to know the story behind the food that we're eating and what the, what a personal experience was like, what it means on a more macro level, or we want to go home and do our own research and think about it later, right? But bottom line, if you have the chance to try out Department of Culture, it's an amazing restaurant. You will love it. You have to book far in advance. I highly recommend you do so. But um, but that's one example of the influence of Nigerian cuisine on U.S. food culture. And it is also another example of doing something that is beneficial for um, helping reduce food waste without shoving it down your throat and making it all about environmental sustainability while also making it like a really truly enjoyable and meaningful experience. Okay. The other thing that we're not talking about enough, except we're talking about it all the time is the white Lotus <laughs> and bear with me here guys, because we're getting to the end, but I just think it's worth calling out that if Sicily is not the biggest 
travel destination of 2023, then I don't really know what is. But but the White Lotus had a cultural impact the first time when it first came out um, in 2021. And I think it had much more of a cultural impact this time, especially at a time, you know, fall of 22, when people are starting to worry about getting sick again or feeling like they didn't get their chance to travel to Italy over the summer or whatever else it is. I think it really sparked something in so many people that is, I want to get to Sicily and I want to get there right now. (laughs) So I think that's one major travel destination of 2023. And as a travel destination, I think that means it's going to have a huge impact on our understanding of foods that come from Sicily that are locally grown, that are best consumed from Sicily, like Sicilian wine that is in fact actually, um, that does taste of, that does have that mineral taste and quality that comes from Mount Etna. There is also Sicilian tomatoes. Oh my God, I'm just, my mouth is watering. I am so ready for dinner right now. I'm gonna stop talking, but you get the idea. The influence of of the White Lotus and of Sicily as a destination. And if this past year was reading the tea leaves here, we know that people, people love Italy. People love the whole country, but Sicily is a little bit less talked about until now. So I think there's a huge, um, there's something coming. There's something big coming in terms of the, the kind of Sicilian cuisine and its impact on global food trends for 2023. And the last and final thing I will say on that is that in addition to the family meal, in addition to feeling like we're eating Sicilian tomatoes and eating and drinking the minerals of boozy Mount Etna, (laughs) I think that we're also seeing something that is a little bit of like the back to the future thing of the early 2000s. In January, I talked a lot about the 90s and food culture of the 90s influencing how we see things. And that's definitely still here and I think will continue through 23. But um, but I think also the early 2000s are going to have their moment. I'm ready. I said it then and I'll say it again. It's time to make the cosmopolitan comeback. I'm here for that comeback. It's time. I mean, it's Carrie and Miranda and Samantha and just shoot me, but you get the drift. Okay. Now, the other things that really remind me very much of like 2002, everything to do with space. We're talking a lot about space as a flavor. That's not a flavor, but I like where we're going with that. It's very creative. And I also think some of the flashiness of the pre-early, pre-2008 early days of the 2000s um, will have its moment. I think we started to see that a little bit with the 80s influenced espresso martini in 2021. And I think that's going to come back for us in a big way in 2023. Flashy colors like ube ice cream. If you haven't tried ube ice cream, it tastes like the best of cereal with milk that's like been sitting in milk, like sugary cereal sitting in milk. Very nostalgic tasting, but also very kind of new forward tasting. Um, And it's bright purple and amazingly delicious flashy cocktails, flashy desserts. Like I'm thinking like baked Alaska. When is the last time you had a baked Alaska, Joey? I don't know, but go make yourself one right now. All right. So think about it, Sicily, Nigeria, and 2002. How would you like to eat in 2023? All right. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave you to think about that for now. I want to thank you for spending so much time listening to me or watching me. Hopefully someone will tune in to this YouTube, um, to this YouTube broadcast here. But, um, but if I, if, if there's anything that we can take away from this past year, it's that food and health, the relationship between food and health is ultimately all about connection. So the more that we can help people to build better, stronger, more enduring connections to ourselves and to one another, the, the better off we all are. All right. So without 
continuing to belabor all of these points, please feel free to leave a comment, a rating, a review, a five-star rating. Pretty please. I would love to get this podcast moving forward a little bit more, growing, expanding, reaching new audiences. So if you're able to, the, the better off we all are. All right. So without continuing to belabor all of these points, please feel free to leave a comment, a rating, a review, a five-star rating. Pretty please. I would love to get this podcast moving forward a little bit more, growing, expanding, reaching new audiences. So if you're able to, please share this this episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with one person that you think might enjoy it too. And be sure to leave a rating and a review. And I will see you guys in 2023. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you and happy new year. Thanks so much for listening to The Business of Wellness. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Remember that advice provided on this podcast is based on my application of research and practice as a registered dietitian and should not replace medical advice provided by your physician. If you like what you're listening to, please follow the show, leave a five-star rating, and share something you love from today's episode by leaving a review. This podcast only grows with your support. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it far and wide. It may be the one thing someone needs to hear to start building that roadmap today to secure a healthier, happier future. That's it for now. So until next time, cheers.